have a collect call from... Good morning, it's Mark, who is an inmate at a California State Correctional Facility. I wanted to express, uh... my... amends. It's, it's been hard over these ten years to... to understand how I could become so weak or, you know, so affected that I ended up hurting Jessica Bergston. Welcome to this episode of What the Actual F. My name is Harmony, and today I have a story for you. I'm not a big sports person, in fact, I don't watch any sports. And at the time that this took place, well, I was like three, four years old, so I definitely wasn't paying attention. However, in 1991, everything seemed to be going perfectly for Mark Rogowski. And yes, his name sounds very close to Mike Wazowski. I know, I know. All I hear in the back of my mind when I was putting this episode together is this. I'm watching you, Wazowski. Always watching. Whew, she's nuts. That's like all I can hear whenever I read his name. And now that I have to say it out loud, I'm going to hear that this whole time. And now you are too. You're welcome. Love you, Pookie. Now, Mark, aka the Gator, or Gator the Skater, as he was widely known as, he became a professional skateboarder at a very young age. He was like Tony Hawk before Tony Hawk. He was insanely famous around the world and extremely wealthy. He loved to party and at the time had an extremely amazing girlfriend who he said and showed he loved more than anything. If you would have just took a gander at his life, you would have been rather impressed that he had done what he had done and built what he had at such a young age. He seemed to be living his best life. That is, until certain events would change his life forever. In 1991, Gator the Skater was convicted of rape and murder. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, welcome to an extremely twisted episode of What the Actual Left. This is the rise and fall of Gator the Skater, or the murder of Jessica Bergstein. What do you got in mind for us today, Mark? Where are you taking us? Well, this is just a casual day at um, the old Del Mar Skate Ranch skateboarding facility in uh, Del Mar, California. And we're just gonna kinda um, shop it up like a usual day and uh, kinda, kinda make the round swashbuckle into the freestyle area. Maybe do a couple hip hops and uh, maybe get a little courageous in the square bowl or something like that. I first met Mark at Del Mar Skateboard Park, skating around with all locals back in the early 80s. He was amazing. He used to own Del Mar. Like, that pool was like, like his backyard, you know? You could always ride the worst spots, like in the keyhole, the right wall, and the entryway. It's totally kinked and screwed up, but he'd always cruise over it like it was nothing. To see Gator there on his diet, it was truly something to behold. Mark Anthony Rogowski was born August 10th of 1966 in Brooklyn, New York. 
However, his mother and his older brother and him would move to San Diego, California when he was just three years old, just after his parents' divorce. The little family ended up in Escandido. This is like a middle-class suburban area in northern San Diego County. It was here, however, that Gator would sort of be born. He began to find and discover his love and natural, absolute, inherent ability for skateboarding. As a child, Gator was considered to be somewhat of a social outcast among his friends and those who knew him. And this is because his family was broke, you know, poor, and for some reason, people just assume if you're broke or poor and they're around you, they're gonna catch it, which I, I don't understand. However, he was found alone often and needed to entertain himself, and he started doing that by skateboarding. So at the age of seven, he was skateboarding while everybody else was doing whatever they did in the 70s and 80s, because I wasn't alive, I don't know. And for years, he was alone, practicing and practicing until he was 12, when a local skateboarding company found him and offered him a little deal. Basically, this skateboarding team, not really company, came to him and said, hey, you want to compete in some amateur tournaments? You could win things. And of course, this teenager who had nothing else to do was like, absolutely, sign me up, and he started to win these. In fact, he was doing so well that he started attracting major sponsors and then massive endorsement deals leading him to fame and wealth within just two years. By the age of 14 years old, he became Gator the Skater, this professional skateboarder. And side note, if that isn't the biggest fuck you to those people who knew him and didn't want anything to do with him because he was poor, I don't know what is. I still think the man is an absolute piece of trash, human garbage for raping and murdering somebody. However, he is an underdog and I love a good underdog, okay? I really do. Still unforgivable that he is absolute just horrific, but that's a big fuck you to those people. You know, he became very rich, more so than them, so whoopsies. Goes to show you, maybe you should just be nice to everybody, you know? Don't judge somebody because they don't have money in their wallet. Anyways, I'm gonna shut up and continue with this really fucked up story because it doesn't have a happy ending. But um, guess what happens? He does meet somebody and fall in love. You see, in the 1980s, he started to get significant fame and wealth because of his skateboarding. By 1987, he had a deal with Visions to use his name on their merchandise. And the company was selling around 7,000 units of product each month, including decks, shirts, clothing, videos, and stickers, earning Gator around 14 grand. And this is like the low side of his residuals with just Visions. He was experiencing significant wealth and fame. Whenever he'd go on tour, he would be greeted by long lines of adoring fans that just wanted to be in his presence for even a second. It was one of these tours that he would meet two young blondes. In 1987 in Scottsdale, Arizona, Gator would meet Brandy McLean and her best friend Jessica Bergston. Gator and Brandy would immediately hit it off. They partied all weekend and fell in love with one another. And this is roughly like where the happiest point in our story is because from here, it's gonna seem like it's getting happier, but it's, it's just getting a little bit more twisted. Let's just bask in the love for a minute. <sighs> okay, that's enough. Well, I think I need to be interviewed, not only because I'm one of the most elite, and dynamic, talented, 
big-headed and uh, versatile skaters on the circuit, but also because I'm one of the most uh, blatant and outspoken jerks in the industry. It's, um, it's really easy to say what you want, what's on your mind, and get away with it when you work for a company like Vision. It's, it's really easy. There's no problems. There's a, you, can, you can always have a bad write-up in the local gossip column of Thrasher or, or, or Transworld and uh, receive some kind of uh, some kind of promotion or, or exposure from it. It's great. I love getting arrested. I think I'm one of the most uh, illegal skaters in the circuit, too. <laughs> Gator was head over heels in love with Brandy. Every single day, he would call her and write and send out love letters to her as he was living in San Diego and she was in Arizona. Puts a whole new meaning to, if he wants to, he will. Few months would go by and eventually he would ask Brandy to move in with him in San Diego. And she said, yep. So Gator bought a ranch house in the mountains where both of them moved into and live. But Brandy got really bored of the place, like the lifestyle just wasn't really her gig. So Gator decided that they should move to Carlsbad and live on the beach. A few months went by and they sold the ranch and took this new path in their life together. It seems as though Gator and Brandy were absolutely inseparable. They attended every single kind of party in Carlsbad together. They drank, they probably did a few little drugs, and they just had a great old time. They were young kids, practically teenagers. Many people splashed them around headlines, stating them as being some of the hottest couples around because it seemed as though they were always happy. And here's these, again, teens, young youth, out partying and having the times of their life, living in fame and wealth and just looking to be the pristine of happiness, and <laughs> they're not, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Gator would take Brandy everywhere he went, from competitions to filming for ads and promotional videos for Vision. They appeared to be truly inseparable. They were even in Tom Petty's music video, Free Fallen. However, there's a dark side. Like I said, this isn't a real love story. This isn't a fairy tale. This is a nightmare. For all the good, there was very bad. Gator was known to have some serious anger issues and a pretty, pretty intense drinking problem. In a rather disturbing event that happened in 1989 in Australia, people would come to learn just how serious Gator's issues with his anger was. Gator had spent the day making demos, and when he was done, he was completely worn out, exhausted and frustrated. I'm sure we've all been there. You're overstimulated and you don't want anyone to come near you. Sadly, a child made the mistake of walking up to Gator because they simply wanted his autograph. Gator, initially not in the mood, did try to avoid the child. However, this kid kept asking Gator, please, can I just have your autograph? You're my favorite skater. I really look up to you. So Gator got so angry that he turned around and hit the child in front of several people. Naturally, due to him assaulting a kid, his reputation kind of took a hit. At this same time, a new type of skateboarding was entering the arena. It was called street skating. In street skating, skaters would use urban obstacles like curbs and garbage cans or even stairways. 
Gator found it extremely difficult to transition into this new genre. This change in skateboarding and the whole assault really caused some damage. Gator wasn't the only one affected by the new trend. Vision, the company that had spent the majority of his career with him, they filed for bankruptcy. At this point, Gator's life was sort of falling apart. And this was all happening at the beginning of the 90s. And it was love at first sight. I mean, we were just so in love. It was puppy love. Of course, I still lived at home. I was in high school. And he would make me little cards and send me something in the mail every single day, call me on the phone. It was sort of just um, long-distance whirlwind courtship. And this went on for a while. And then he started flying me out on weekends. One weekend when I was out, he had asked me, he said, well, what would you think about moving in together? And I said, well, first of all, I'll have to ask my mom. I mean, I was 17 years old. All right, it's 1990, and during the World Cup event in Germany, Gator and Vision skateboarding team were attending. Gator decided to hit up a party, but he didn't understand his limits and got so drunk that he just went missing. Oop, where'd Gator go? I have no idea. But it ain't here. At the time, his team manager said he looked out a window and saw Gator climbing a construction crane, then diving down from a two-story hotel. He ended up landing on an iron fence, impaling his neck, face, and thumb. It's okay though, because Gator ended up showing up to his manager's hotel room covered in blood. On the way to the hospital, Gator was in serious pain and he was so drunk that he couldn't even be controlled. The next day, he couldn't remember the reason that he was at the hospital, what had happened, or even why he had gotten stitches. After this whole incident occurred, he decided he should reinvent himself. Officially, he changed his name from Rigowski to Gator. He would go on to explain that Rogowski was his father's name, who he had never really known, so there wasn't a connection to it, not like there was to Gator. Gator would also go on to make friends with Augie Constantino. He is an ex-surfer who was actually a born-again Christian and preached the word of God to Gator. This caused Gator to give his life to Christ and began preaching the word of God as well to all of his friends and those who would listen. Though his friends kind of thought this was a phase that, you know, he would just maybe get over it or maybe just wouldn't stay as a uh, praise Jesus as he was at the time. However, to Gator, this was the right path because to him, he looked back and saw nothing but several mistakes that he had made in his life and he just, he wanted to find the right direction. He tried to get Brandy to convert with him, but she really wasn't feeling it. She didn't want to give up this whole party life that she had. She didn't want to be all, praise Jesus, hallelujah. No, she didn't want to do that. Eventually, Brandy couldn't deal with the new ways of Gator and she wanted to leave. The two ended up splitting up and Brandy moved back home with her parents. However, her parents at this point in time were in San Diego. Now, this isn't where Brandy exits the story. Just because it's over doesn't mean it's over. Have you ever had an ex that when you said, hey, this is done, didn't want to accept it? That's about how well it went down with Gator. Before 
the Christianity thing and before he started really showing his manic chemical imbalance stuff. Yeah, I thought that Mark and I would get married and have lots of kids and live happily ever after. He wanted me to become a born-again Christian, too. He wanted me to go to chapel and hang out with all of these little virgin girls that, you know, hold their hands up in the air and accept Jesus into their body. I mean, I, it was weird to me. I wanted everything about us to change, bam, like that instantly. But she wasn't ready for that and couldn't believe how I'd come to believe. He told me, he said, you know, I think that maybe you're just too young for me. We don't want the same things. And he said, and I really just want to settle down and, and go to church. <laughs> and that's when I went out and I, and I met this guy and he was my age. He's really good looking and he was a surfer. And I even got close with his mom and I mean, just a great guy. And Mark decided one day that he didn't like that. I let my hurt fester, especially the part about her rebounding into Another relationship with a younger, handsome surfer guy. I think I'd become fixated to this patriarchal, biblical idea of women as property, submitting to their men. He started following me, and even it went as far as to where I was at this guy's house one day, this guy's mom's house, and the phone rang, and it was Mark. He had, like, traced me to the house. He was stalking me, is what it was. He was stalking me. He had broken into my parents' home and stole everything that he ever gave me. My car that he had given me left very threatening messages on the phone. My mother and I were both very scared of him. Here you have a situation with a young kid who's never been dumped before, and it was devastating to him. And so consequently, he made some very bad choices. This breakup wasn't exactly going over well with Gator. Which, side note, I find that a bit strange because he is literally the one who initiated it. Yeah, Brandy didn't want to convert and be a Christian because going to church every Sunday and Wednesday and singing hallelujah was not her thing. However, Gator took it a step above and was like, hey, Brandy, get the fuck out because all I ever wanted to do was fuck you. I was only using you so you can get out, let the door hit you in the ass, sayonara, don't want to talk again. And when Brandy did in fact leave and then started to move on, what did Gator do? Well, he got pissed. He got a little snippy. Because <clears throat> his name is Gator. Never mind. It's a dumb joke. Anyways, she was doing exactly what he had basically opened the door for her to do. She was moving on and trying to be happy. But Gator, he didn't want that for her. In fact, when he found out that Brandy had a handsome new boyfriend despite his newfound faith, well, his reaction was rather unchristian-like. Un-godlike? Non-religious. Religious? That's not a word, Harmony. Basically, he became obsessively jealous and he began to stalk Brandy. He called her mother's house and started to leave messages on the answer machine, calling her all sorts of, well, horrific names. One night, Brandy returned home and found that somebody had actually broken into her house. Whoever had done it, Gator, had taken everything that Gator had ever bought for her, including her car. 
Naturally, her and the police just assumed it was probably Gator. The last thing that Gator said to Brandy was that he would take her somewhere, commit every sexual act with her, and dump her body somewhere in the desert. Naturally, this terrified Brandy, and she was rather scared of him, so she decided to move away to New York, telling nobody except for her parents. She didn't even tell her absolute best friend in the whole wide world, Jessica. And Jessica had been moving to San Diego at that very same time. This, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, is where the story is about to get fucked up. Well, more so than it already is. One of the last statements that he made to her is what he ought to do to her is take her somewhere, commit every sex act that he could possibly think with her, and then dump her naked body in the desert. And so she left and she essentially went into hiding from him. I think it was about power. When I ended up with Jessica one night, punishing Brandy by hurting her, her former best friend. I met Jessica through a friend of mine in Tucson, and we just instantly got along. I mean, she was really vibrant. She was a lot of fun. I mean, we were just... We were both party girls. I mean, we wanted to hang out, have a good, it was all about having a good time. You know, when I got the call that she was missing, I didn't even know that she had moved to San Diego. She and I really weren't in contact then. She was recently, had come to San Diego uh, from Arizona, and uh, I mean, she really wasn't a part of any scene as it was like uh, Gator was. Jessica uh, had uh, Gator's telephone number. So one day, Jessica calls Gator, talks to him, has a long conversation with him, and wanted him to introduce her to the, uh, the party scene up here in North County in San Diego. He was going through this thing where he really wanted some acceptance out of that fast world. When she called him, he wasn't sure what was going on. From what I understand, they went out to lunch, came back, back to this place in Carlsbad. The girl was trying to entice Gator at that point. He drinks a little wine. He hasn't been doing any drugs or alcohol for a while, so he's really finding his resistance down. He's feeling very pressured. He's feeling the cognitive dissonance of knowing that there's this life, oh yeah, why not do her, you know, might as well, but at the same time, you know, this is not the thing to do religiously. I've been meaning to seek psychological counseling, but the brand of Christianity I was immersed in at the time, you know, ridiculed psychology, you know, as if oh, Jesus could heal everything and Satan, the source of my depression. One day, Jessica decided to reach out to Gator because she had just moved to San Diego. So she wanted him to show her around. You know, he knew the area. He lived there. He was freaking like a superstar. He could literally show her the ins and outs and show her an amazing time. And she knew she could trust him. On March 21st of 1991, the two spent the day together. After having lunch outside, they picked some movies, a few bottles of wine, and went to Gator's house. After drinking for a while and ending up rather drunk, it was finally time for her to leave. Gator left her alone in the living room to go check on something in his car. 
He came back to see Jessica staring at a picture of him that was plastered on his living room wall. Just then, he grabbed a metal steering well lock, snuck up behind her, and hit her two, maybe three times in the head. When she fell to the floor, she bled so much that it soaked the carpet. After knocking her somewhat unconscious, he handcuffed her and dragged her to his bedroom on the second floor of his house. He shackled her onto the bed and raped her for two to three hours, committed every single sexual act that he could possibly think of on her body. Jessica was still conscious and begged, pleaded with Gator to please just stop. She began screaming as loud as she could, hoping that possibly a neighbor or someone passing by would hear her. In an attempt to shut her up, he pulled a surfboard bag from his closet and stuffed her head into it. She began screaming loudly that she couldn't breathe. So Gator placed his hands around her neck and started to strangle her until Jessica died. Gator then grabbed her body, drove out to the desert and dumped her there just as he had once told Brandy that he would do to her. When he came back, he rented a carpet steamer to clean up every single spot of blood that he could from the carpet. He then flipped over the mattress to hide any blood that was there as well. A few weeks went by and the police came to question him about her disappearance. However, when they gathered information and took a look around, they couldn't see anything suspicious from him. Jessica's father was unsatisfied though at how the police were handling the issue of his daughter's disappearance and decided to fly to San Diego to look for her himself. He plastered the entire county with posters of his missing daughter. He asked all of Jessica's friends about her possible whereabouts. He even met with Gator himself asking about his daughter. But Gator acted as though he didn't know where she was and even said he hadn't even seen her. Gator would have gotten away with murder if it wasn't for his guilt. Do you guys remember Augie Constantino? The one who brought Gator to Christ. He would confess everything to Augie. His friend convinced him that he needed to turn himself in to the police. And here's the thing, he did. But even more shocking, the police were astonished to hear of a murder that they didn't even know had occurred. He did turn himself in. Of course, that doesn't take away from what he did, but obviously the guy felt deep within himself that what he had done was terrible. He willingly gave up his rights thinking that this was his path to true religious, I don't know, accomplishment, to be saved, to be forgiven. He had laid out very succinctly what he had done, where, how, when, and all the way to disposing of the evidence. The next morning, Gator took the police to the desert where he had left Jessica. They found her so badly decomposed that she was almost unrecognizable. Gator would go on to tell the police what he had done to her right there in his home, the very home that they had come by before. This time, however, the police went in with search warrants and found evidence of blood in the places that he had missed while cleaning, the blood that would come back as Jessica's. In his confession, Gator said he killed Jessica out of misplaced sense of revenge, revenge that he wanted to get on Brandy. He called Jessica, quote, the mold Brandy was made out of. He took all of his anger and rage out that he had basically put on himself because he 
ended the relationship with Brandy after trying to force her into something that she really didn't want to do. So, because he was so upset by basically his own actions and the consequences there of them, he took it out on Jessica instead of owning up to his own shit. Talk about not being able to face yourself in the mirror, eh? On March 6th of 1992, Gator would plead guilty to first-degree murder and rape. Because he did this, he avoided completely getting the death penalty or receiving life without the chance of parole. He would later go on to write a four-page statement where he apologized to Jessica's family. He said he most likely couldn't see nor understand the intensity of their pain, and that no family deserved to have a loved one taken from them the way he had taken Jessica. Of course, no words on a piece of paper will bring Jessica back. But an apology and an admittance of guilt is even more than many victims' families will ever see. He also acknowledged that, at first, he wanted to pin the responsibility of what he had done on God and Jessica. But by the end of his statement, he said that, quote, God has changed me, and it was no typical jailhouse conversion. I sincerely hope that they can accept my apology for my carelessness. Gator was sentenced to 31 years in prison in California for the death and rape of Jessica Bergstein. Gator applied for parole and was denied on February 7th of 2011. Now get this, Gator was released from prison. He was fully granted parole last year. However, the governor of the state reversed that parole order and was like, no, <laughs> get your ass back in prison. In fact, that is not the first time that happened. After Gator was denied parole in 2011, he applied again in 2014. However, nothing occurred again until 2015 when he actually waived his right for a hearing for a year. Then, in 2016, he was denied parole for seven years. Suddenly, in 2019, he was granted parole. However, in 2020, the inmate's grant of parole was then reversed by the governor. Then, in 2022, he was granted parole again. Only for a few months later, for the governor to again say, I don't think so, do not pass go, go directly to jail, goodbye. If you ask me, rightfully so, because I don't think the man should ever walk freely again. Jessica never will, so why the hell should he? Before sentencing, Mark Gator Antony, who claims to be deeply religious, made an appeal for Christian mercy. I've only a better glimpse of the family's sorrow, I'm sure. I sincerely hope that they can accept my apology for my carelessness. I'm sorry to Jessica. No one deserves to have a dearly loved one taken from me. I never wanted Jessica to die. And I am deeply sorry. Anthony was sentenced to six years for rape, and once he completes that, he faces 25 years to life in prison for the murder of Jessica Bergston. Oh, he deserves it. He definitely deserves it. I don't think, uh, I think he should spend the rest of his life in prison. If I was him, the attorney dad, or the girl's dad, I would dedicate my life to fucking Mark Rogowski. I just hope that he realizes how he affected everyone's life. It, it really has affected a lot of people's lives. And not just, I mean, her family, my family. It just ripped us all apart. I wanted to, I wanted to tell him that I couldn't stand him. Like, I wanted to tell him things. Hey, remember this? You're fucked. Like, I wanted, but then I realized he's pretty fucked.
he's stuck in there with just it's fucked in there probably over the years I tried in my mind to put myself in her family's shoes I'm sorry for stealing your child from you I'm not the same person I was in where I tell you some dark and twisted tale that happened around our globe. Or maybe we'll take a trip to a haunted house, quite possibly throw on our tinfoil hats and talk conspiracies. Who knows? But you can meet me here next week for the next episode and find out for yourself. Until then, stay safe, because I never want to tell a story about you. Love you. Later. Bye.